Hello, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor, founder, and official ninja master of Crux Catholic Media Incorporated, our sprawling global empire. And this is Last Week in the Church. It is our showcase signature video production in which we take basically stale news because it happened a week ago, but we throw it into our metaphorical skillet, sprinkle on some spices, add our special Crux brand secret sauce, and serving it up piping hot. Coming to you this week, by the way, not from our normal location in Rome, but in lovely Denver, Colorado. Welcome to our Airbnb, highly recommended property on Irving Street. Here's what we've got this week. Matt and Dave, the friendship between an Italian politician and an Italian cardinal, captures an entire trajectory in Catholic life. Second, the Vatican does not endorse assisted suicide. An article in Chibolta Cattolica gets put through the spin cycle. Third, a bishop here in, well, I'm not here in Italy, am I? But a bishop there in Italy gets in some hot water for kind of doing the right thing, getting vaccinated. Fourth, in Poland, a bishop is forced to eat his hat, metaphorically speaking, his diocese has to apologize for asking some fairly dubious questions of a sex abuse victim. And finally, fifth, the Pope goes shopping. Pope Francis is spotted in a Roman record store this week. That's what we've got for you, so please stick around. All right, as I mentioned, I am coming to you this week from Denver, Colorado. My wife, Elise Ann and I are on a brief American sojourn, visiting her family here in the Rocky Mountain region and having a fantastic time. Last night, actually, we cooked a vintage Roman dinner for them. I actually flew guanciale, which is the kind of pork you use, and pecorino cheese over from Rome in order to be able to make them amatrechana, greatest pasta in the history of humanity. If you haven't had it, go find it. I guarantee it will change your life. From the mountains, we are headed to the sea. We will be in Key West, Florida next week, and that's where I'll be coming to you next week in this broadcast, where, among other things, we will be renewing our wedding vows on January 25th. So just a glorious traipsing through the mountains, the seas, the, 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 the greatness that is America. And then we will be back in the eternal city of Rome. But the fact that we are not in Rome doesn't mean we don't have our eyes on it. So let's get started. Matt and Dave. The reference there is to David Sassoli, a well-known Italian journalist and politician, most recently the president of the European Parliament, who tragically died this month from Legionnaire's disease. And uh, the Matt is Matteo Zuppi, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna, who was the celebrant at his funeral. Now, this is actually quite unusual because Sassoli, as the president of the European Parliament, was granted a state funeral in Italy. It was attended by the president of the country, Sergio Mattarella, Prime Minister Mario Draghi. It was also attended by Ursula von der Leyen, the president of the European Commission, and basically the entire power structure of Europe. It was a big, important moment. Typically, in those moments, and of course, this is Italy, so there is no big important moment that doesn't include a Catholic Mass. Typically, 
the mass would be presided over by, say, the Cardinal Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, or the President of the Italian Bishops' Conference, Cardinal Gualtiero Bassetti of Perugia, or perhaps the Pope's Vicar of Rome, because the funeral took place in Rome at the Basilica of St. Mary of the Angels, and that would have been Cardinal Angelo de Donatis. But instead, the celebrant and homilist was Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna. And the reason is because Zuppi and Sassoli are, were close friends from childhood. And so it was the Sassoli family that requested Cardinal Zuppi to do it. Interestingly, the Sassoli is not actually a Roman. He's from, he was born in Florence, so he's Tuscan, but spent his youth in Rome. Zuppi is a, what, well, he's what the Italians would call Romano Romano, meaning born and bred in Rome. And they met at a well-known Roman high school, the Liceo Virgilio, which is in the heart of the city. They were actually in school at the same time, although he was a little bit older, as Andrea Riccardi, the founder of the Santa Giu, the community of Santa Giudio, the Pope's favorite among the new movements in the church. And a young Matteo Zuppi was one of the early members of what would become the community of Santa Giudio. They both very much breathed the, the sort of post-conciliar air, Sassoli and Zuppi, very ardent Catholics and drawn to this new spirit of reading the signs of the times, social engagement, both adopted the broadly progressive social justice-oriented outlook that one associates with that moment in church history. And in Italian terms, it was very much focused on the city of Bologna under the leadership of Cardinal Lacaro, who was one of the heroes of Vatican II and very much a champion of the social gospel. And also, Bologna has always been a center of progressive energies in Italian life. It's, it's not known as Bologna Rosa, Red Bologna, for, for no reason. And so they, they, they were part of what came to be known as the School of Bologna, Sassoli and, and Zubi. And they took those energies in somewhat different directions. Sassoli went initially into journalism, becoming a lead broadcaster for Rai, that's the state television network in Italy. Zubi, of course, went into clerical life and very engaged uh, in Sant'Egidio. He was one of the lead negotiators, for instance, of the Mozambique Peace Accords, which, for which Sant'Egidio was responsible, ending, ending that country's long-running civil war. They remained close friends over the years, often focused around Bologna. And in fact, last time the two men were together was in September, when Sassoli and Zuppi both attended a conference in Bologna that was organized by Alberto Maloney, who is the one who is in charge, more or less, of the school of Bologna. And so just lives that were thoroughly interwoven uh, in, in representing a trajectory in Catholicism, analogous in a way, the Bologna school, analogous in a way to the, the, the Bernadine sort of circle in American Catholicism, again, progressive spirit of Vatican II, social justice-oriented, change-oriented, that many people thought had kind of gone into, well, a, a kind of hibernation during the John Paul and Benedict years, or that it had been superseded in some ways. But quite clearly under Pope Francis, 
those energies have revived, and Zupi is a leading case in point. By the way, footnote, Zupi is also widely thought to be a leading candidate to become the next president of the Italian Bishops' Conference when Cardinal Bassetti turns 80 in late May. If so, it will set him up to become a figure of even greater national and international importance. Definitely someone to keep your eyes on in terms of, well, I'll just put it this way, future developments in the papacy. One never knows, but certainly somebody who's likely to to get some attention when the time comes. All right, shifting gears, but another Vatican story from the past week. You may have seen a headline online someplace this past week that said something like, the Vatican backs assisted suicide. Sorry to tell you, that's bunk. (laughs) It's just not true. The, The basis for it, was an article that appeared in Chipotle Catolica. That's the Jesuit edited journal that is reviewed by the Secretary of State in the Vatican prior to publication. Not edited, but reviewed. But because of that, it's sometimes considered to have a sort of semi-official Vatican status. This particular article was written by a Jesuit by the name of Carlo Casalone, And it was about the assisted suicide debate that is unfolding in Italy right now. For many years, Italy has been debating, essentially legalizing some form of assisted suicide. Polls consistently show it is a popular measure. There is a draft bill currently before Parliament. In broad terms, the liberals are for it, the conservatives are against it, but there are enough conservatives who individually support something like this, it is entirely possible that the law may be passed. If not, backers of legalizing assisted suicide have vowed that if Parliament doesn't act, they are going to collect signatures and get a national referendum placed on the ballot in the next election. Now, the gist of Casaloni's argument was that it is a mistake for people who have concerns about assisted suicide to simply say no to the law in Parliament, just, you know, full frontal opposition. His argument is, look, something is probably going to get passed. And so the better use of our energies would be to try to at least ameliorate some aspects of the law. In other words, to make the best of a bad situation. So He has in mind things like trying to make sure that informed consent is real, that is, that the the language in the law about what passes, what would be acceptable as informed consent, is as stringent as possible to make sure that people are truly making an informed and free, responsible decision. Also, trying to make sure that the effect of the law isn't to put pressure on, say, disabled people or people who have conditions that pose financial burdens on their families, that that they don't come to see this as a way out, that there are other options available for those people, and that support for them is built into the process you have to go through uh, before you can get to the point of suicide. And this is, you know, it's a reasonable position, certainly does not amount to an endorsement of assisted suicide, but it nonetheless got spun that way in some media coverage. Two things wrong with it. One, Casaloni did not endorse assisted suicide. 
he was actually saying. It is a lamentable thing. But it was a kind of real-world argument that the politics of the situation are that something is likely going to happen, and you have a much better chance to at least have a positive effect on it if you are dealing with legislators in the parliamentary process than a one-shot-and-goodbye referendum where you have no impact uh, on the language of that referendum whatsoever. So A, this was not an endorsement, and B, Chibotokatolika does not speak for the Vatican, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is reviewed in the Vatican prior to publication, but that's it. It's not like their role is to act as an official spokesperson for the Holy See. In fact, the Vatican employs a guy to do that. His name is Matteo Bruni. It is not Chibotokatolika. So even if they had endorsed assisted suicide, it wouldn't have been a Vatican endorsement, but they didn't endorse assisted suicide. So you know, one of those cases where the media spin cycle will often, you know, a shirt goes in white, it comes out some vague shade of pink, and that's basically what happened here. All right. Staying in Italy, but getting out of the Vatican for a minute, we shift to the Diocese of Potenza, where a bishop whose name I'm now blanking on, Elise, help me, Sergio. Salvatore Ligurio. Salvatore Ligurio, thank God my wife who actually knows things, is on hand to remedy the buki, the, the raging holes uh, in my mastery of these stories. In any event, Bishop Ligurio has found himself in some hot water, and for an odd reason. The reason is uh, he got vaccinated, you know, against COVID. Now, of course, you might be thinking, isn't that what we're all supposed to do? Like, you know, have, haven't public officials everywhere? been getting vaccinated to set a good example for everybody else. In other words, what's the problem? Well, the problem is Italy has a line for these things. That is to say, healthcare facilities are only supposed to give the vaccination to certain categories of people kind of when their turn is called by the Ministry of Health. And you're supposed to go through the system They have a website where you go on when your group is eligible to get the vaccination. You sign up for it. They tell you which facility and what time you're going to get it. And then you go and you show your public health card and you get the vaccination. And that's how it's supposed to work. Turns out, though, that there is a clinic in Potenza that is run by an order of nuns. And though it participates in the public health care system, nevertheless, it is Catholic in origin and in operation. And at the beginning of all this, so last January, Bishop Ligurio apparently just showed up at the clinic and said, give me the shot. And, you know, what are they going to do? He's the bishop, so they gave him the shot. But this has now become public and caused no small amount of outrage among many ordinary Italians who had to wait weeks, months, had to stand in long lines to wait their turn. The idea that a bishop just walked in someplace and kind of flexed his ecclesiastical muscle and got uh, got the shot is therefore deeply irritating. Now, I mean, it has to be said that he was, I suppose, acting for noble motives. That is, not only vaccinating himself, but also trying to set an example for others. But, you know, this is a memo to bishops everywhere. Wait your line, wait your turn in line. It'll all be good, and people will appreciate you doing it. Speaking of 
lessons for bishops, we move now to Poland, where another bishop has found himself in, in trouble. There is a the, the diocese in Poland whose name I can't possibly pronounce, so I'm not going to bother. But it is a kind of mid-sized Polish diocese. And like dioceses all around the Catholic world, it has struggled with the fallout of the clerical sexual abuse scandals. There is currently underway a lawsuit against the diocese filed by a survivor. And by the way, the, the priest, uh, the priest abuser in this case, has has confessed, has acknowledged the abuse. So the abuse is not in dispute. But the survivor is suing for financial compensation. He's requested about $750,000. And so the diocese, of course, has a lawyer. And this lawyer kind of did what lawyers do. They wanted to depose the plaintiff, the survivor, and that is, you know, ask questions. And in the course of the deposition, he asked, number one of the survivor, are you gay? And that probably would have been enough to, to rankle. But I, I think that was the second question that, that really, really kind of stuck in the crop, which was, did you enjoy the sex? I mean, imagine it, okay? This is a victim of clerical sexual abuse who was a minor at the time, and the lawyer is asking if he enjoyed it. Now, okay, at one level, this is just lawyers doing what lawyers do, right? It's a lawsuit. It's an adversarial process. And when your client is getting sued, the time-honored strategy is to try to impugn the motives or the character of the person who sued, right? And, you know, you see this in corporate lawsuits all of the time and so on. But, you know, bishops in other parts of the world, such as the United States, at the very beginning of the American crisis, bishops there did the same thing. You know, they deployed their lawyers and they tried to fight off these lawsuits often by raising questions about the veracity or the character of accusers. But they learned very quickly the optic of a Catholic bishop or a Catholic diocese being seen to impugn the character of someone who has been sexually abused by priests probably is not good tactics. And they learned very early on in the game to put a premium instead on healing and reconciliation and also trying to do justice to victims. It is a lesson that, uh, that apparently is yet to arrive in some corners of Poland, although the diocese there and the bishop have emphatically apologized. But, you know, it would be nice just once to see someone in leadership getting ahead of the curve. Right? I mean, diffusing the bomb before it goes up. But it sometimes seems that some lessons have to be learned over and over and over again before they actually sink in. All right. And then we end this week with a kind of cute story out of Rome. Last Tuesday, Twitter was, well, a Twitter, I guess, a buzz in Rome because of an unusual patron who was sighted at a record store near the Pantheon called Stereo Sound. Apparently this place, by the way, doesn't just sell CDs. They also sell the old school vinyl records. That might help explain why this particular patron chose that particular store, because the patron was Pope Francis. At some point in the afternoon, 
apparently his Ford Fiat, famous blue Ford Fiat, pulled up in front of the store and he popped in. Now, and and picked up a record. Now, the backstory to this is that this is apparently a record store that the future Pope, when he was still Archbishop and Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio of Argentina, was in the habit of visiting when he would come to Rome. The future Pope would stay in the Casa del Clero, that's a residence for clergy in that neighborhood. And Francis is an admitted music lover and so was in the habit of going to this store. And apparently they just did some remodeling and they were having a little, what, christening ceremony or like rededication thing. And they got the Pope to play their party. And so he came, spent about a half hour. They, they gave him a record to take home and then he left. By the way, this is not unusual behavior for Pope Francis. What we probably remember in 2015, he famously showed up in a Roman eyeglass store because he wanted new lenses for his glasses and so did what one does. Go to the eyeglass store. Just usually when one is the Pope, you don't do that kind of thing. You have people to do it for you, but but he wanted to do it himself and did. In 2016, one of those times his sciatica was acting up, and of course, that's the nerve condition that concentrated in, in the back, upper legs, makes it painful to stand and walk when it's flaring up. He wanted a pair of orthopedic shoes, and so he went to a Roman shoe store and got himself some shoes. And so now he went in and got a record. So, you know, this is certainly not anything we should be terribly surprised by, although it's always a surprise when it happens, you know, because they don't advertise these things are going on. And if there's any significance to this at all, I think maybe is that Pope Francis has revolutionized the papacy in many respects. I think one of them is the degree of humanity that he has brought to the office. And, you know, you don't really think about how a pope gets his shoes, right? Or how he gets his glasses or, or where he gets his, his records from. Uh, but Pope Francis lets you see that happening in real time, sort of, you know, striking this just ordinary guy ethos. And it is a reminder, I suppose, and a useful one, that at the end of the day, you know, popes are human beings. They have a particular biography. They have a particular worldview. They have a particular set of experiences. And despite the grace of office, they very much remain human beings. And I think remembering that probably is a useful tonic in some Catholic debates where, you know, we sort of expect moral and spiritual perfection out of popes at all times, I, you know, that's probably a little exaggerated. And, and also, I suspect that for Pope Francis, who sort of carries the weight of the world on his shoulders 24-7, every pope does, being able to pop into a record store and just hang out is probably a useful way to just unwind uh, a little bit. But Humanity with Francis, the humanity of the papacy is on full public display. And so the question now is where he's going to pop up next. He's done an eyeglass shop, a shoe store, and a record store. I don't know. Are we going to see him at the Euronics? It's an electronics, big electronics, sort of like the best buy in Italy. Is he going to be there? Are we going to see him at a juice shop someplace? Coffee bar, maybe? I mean, if I were running a Roman business, I would certainly be wanting to put out feelers because you just never 
All right, that is our show for next week. Uh, sorry, for this week. For next week, we will be coming to you from warm and tropical Key West. Probably be rocking the Hawaiian shirt, maybe a Mai Tai in front of me. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what kind of visuals we can come up with to, to capture the feet of the place. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will talk to you again soon.